a major bombshell to kick off this Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024, here on Brandon's World. We are going to get to all of the NFL divisional round action. I'm going to get to Joel Embiid scoring over 70 points. I'm going to get to Cat putting up 62 for the Minnesota Timberwolves. But folks, WWE Monday Night Raw has a new home starting in January 2025. It is not the USA Network, which of course now will have Friday Night Smackdown. It is not on broadcast television as, of course, NXT will be moving to the CW. No, WWE now has three partners, one on cable, one on broadcast, and one on streaming. The major bomb show today. Monday Night Raw will not be going to Amazon Prime. Monday Night Raw will not be going to Warner Brothers and kicking AEW off of TNT and TBS, Monday Night Raw will be exclusive to Netflix. Wow, wow, wow. Five years, excuse me, 10 years, $5 billion worth of dough for WWE. Not only that, but today was also announced The Rock is now an officially part of the TKO board. WWE is dropping cash. WWE business is booming. The Royal Rumble is this week. We're going to break it all down on Thursday where I get my predictions for the Royal Rumble. WWE business may have arguably never been better. Now, I had predicted that Monday Night Raw, there was a real chance after the CW was announced that they were going to take over NXT. I thought, hmm. Friday Night SmackDown moves from Fox to the USA Network. NXT moves from the USA Network to the CW. I thought SmackDown as a cable deal. NXT has a broadcast deal. I thought there was a real chance Raw could get in the streaming business. But I thought it was Amazon Prime. That was the heavy rumor for a long time. I thought if that wasn't the case, that, you know, FX, Disney... Uh, Raw could go there. I also thought, obviously, the wild card we mentioned, Warner Brothers Discovery. But I never thought the company that is about to come out this year with the Netflix documentary of Vince McMahon, produced by Bill Simmons, which I cannot absolutely wait for. I never thought Raw would be headed to Netflix. Now, in terms of viewership, I'll be honest, I don't think this is going to affect Raw that much. The WWE fan base is already adept to streaming. They've been streaming premium live events or pay-per-views, whatever you want to call it, for the last decade. Don't forget that, you know, even before Netflix and Amazon Prime and, you know, Hulu and Paramount and all these other streaming services sort of came into effect, the first big one was the fact that the WWE Network launched. WWE went from pay-per-view style to $9.99 with the original WWE Network. I thought it was the greatest decision WWE had arguably made in company history. Making their programs accessible for, yes, less money, but you're going to get the most viewership possible. Then, obviously, they made so much off that WWE Network deal, 
They sold it to Peacock. Now, that deal is up in 2026. It does sound like, as of the time of this recording on this Tuesday, that Peacock, until 2026, is still going to be the exclusive rights holder of the premium live events, but that also, outside of the U.S., Netflix will sort of take that over. I am predicting that within the next five years, that Netflix will become the new home of the WWE Network. But between Peacock and the, the old WWE Network and now Netflix, and obviously we have a Bianca Belair and Montez Ford show on Hulu, WWE and its fan base is, you know, a little bit, I would say, more technologically educa uh, educated, excuse me, you know, it's not the old boomers, uh, like some football fans that don't know what Peacock is or don't know what Amazon Prime is and are really complaining about the fact that Thursday Night Football is on Prime or the NFL has an exclusive wild card game. This is the new era that we are in. You know, you still have your traditional broadcasts, your ABCs, your NBCs, your CBSs, your Fox. Uh, you have your traditional cable networks, FS1, USA Network, FS, TNT, TBS, etc. But you also have these streaming services, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Paramount, etc. And to get a contract for Monday Night Raw, your flagship show on a streaming service, Front of Night SmackDown, cable contract on a big network that WWE has had relationships for years in the USA Network and NBC Universal, which is one of the reasons why they put all the streaming on Peacock. It's one of the reasons why there was speculation before Endeavor bought WWE that, you know, NBC Universal could have bought WWE because they had Raw, SmackDown, and NXT at one point, along with the addition of Peacock. And then, you know, they had relationships with CW in the past. Friday Night SmackDown used to be on there. The CW was looking to get back into it uh, and become sort of a major fifth uh, broadcast company. Just, it's unbelievable. Um, I think it's going to be good for WWE. Again, I'm very interested to see what happens. I'm very interested to see uh, the effect that Netflix has, again, on viewership, how will the streaming be, etc., the performance, the reaction. So far, from what I've seen, it's positive. I'm interested to see if any of the content will change. You know, will Monday Night Raw potentially go TV 14? Uh, who knows? That's a lot of discussion. It does sound like it's still going to be on Mondays. It's still going to be a three-hour show, which, again, for the three-hour standpoint, I completely understand because of the money they get revenue-wise. I thought there was a real chance they could move Raw off of Mondays because of Monday Night Football, the NBA playoffs, etc. There's a lot of competition on Mondays, and that is, you know, really the only issue, I think, with Raw going to a streaming service. And, you know, if you don't have a smart TV or if you have, you know, another setup actually exiting the app, uh, to go back to cable to check on a Monday Night Football game or check on an NBA playoff game. I can see that being potentially annoying. I know there's been circumstances like that that I've had to deal with during Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime. But regardless, the money deal is huge. Again, WWE business, in my opinion, has never been better. The company has never been in better shape. The roster, arguably, has never been in better shape you know, even over the Monday Night Wars. I think this is a huge deal. Congratulations to Triple H, Nick Khan, Vince McMahon, 
who of course no longer has his mustache, the whole crew at TKO. What a huge day for WWE on the heels of the Royal Rumble coming this weekend. On the date of Kobe Bryant scoring 81 points, destroying Jalen Rose, Jabot and Pete currently doubt two big men in today's current environment of the NBA where big men are more skilled than ever and we have better players than ever before put on historic performances. Joel Embiid with 70, Carl Anthony Towns with 62. And I got to say, for both of these individuals, um, and I don't want to come off as a cynic here, and I know we have a lot of NBA fans that have recently joined Brand's World. You may not be as familiar with my NBA takes, but in my opinion, for both of these superstars, and they were historic performances, I don't really care about either one of them. It's the same thing I said about Donovan Mitchell last year when he put up 75 for the Cleveland Cavaliers. What happened to Donovan Mitchell in the first round? I thought he was a top 10 player in the NBA coming into that playoff series against the Knicks. Completely flamed out, completely disappointed fans, not only in Cleveland, but NBA fans worldwide. Remember when Devin Booker put up, you know, 80-something in the bubble? I don't even remember the amount of points he put up. You know why? I don't care. It was in the bubble. It was a meaningless game. There have been some historic performances in the NBA. Luka Doncic has put up some. Giannis Antetokounmpo has put up some this year. It has never been easier to score in the NBA, especially in the regular season, right? Fouls are, are, are being called a lot uh, more. They, you know, it's a lot less physical. Uh, teams are not playing a lot of defense. They're giving a lot of wide-open threes. Regular season basketball is different than postseason basketball. Postseason basketball, they swallow the whistle. It's not as bad as hand-checking in the 90s. Now, if you have that, that one family member, like a couple that I do, uh, that always says, you know, I wonder if these guys could have played in the 90s, or I wonder what the 90s guys would do to these guys today. And you're like, dude, it's a completely different game. Who cares? Stop, stop living in the past. Okay? I get you don't like today's NBA. I understand that you are not, excuse me, as quick to, as quick to change as maybe some other people are. Um, however, it's just the way of the land. And I have said... Over the last three, four years in the NBA, really ever since Golden State finished their dynasty with Kevin Durant and Quite Thompson got hurt, and obviously Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship. Really from that moment on, and after the bubble, you know, LeBron and AD obviously came in and they destroyed the bubble, but starting with the year that Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns went to the NBA Finals and they took on Giannis and the Bucks, since then, you know, it hasn't really always been about, you know, being the most talented team. Really, it's about more bench depth, uh, and it's about do you have one superstar, do you have one star, do you have a lot of good quality role players? It's not necessarily about the big three anymore. The NBA has leaned a lot to duos, uh, and we've seen, you, you know, uh, teams like last year, the Denver Nuggets, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray. In years past, maybe they wouldn't be the NBA champions. But, you know, they got some injury luck. They dominated throughout the regular season. Nikola Jokic was the best player in the postseason. Look no further than the Miami Heat. They struggled all season long, but they got hot in the postseason because 
you know, Max Cruz came to life and Kale Martin came to life and Kyle Lowry came to life, who they just traded the Charlotte. Uh, and Jimmy Butler had an historic postseason. Joel Embiid has never made it to the conference finals, and I love Joel Embiid. At this point last year, I was making the case Joel Embiid is a better overall player than Nikola Jokic. The funny thing is, as I've always said, I thought two years ago when Jokic won his back-to-back -back MVP, I thought Joel Embiid was the best player that season. Last year, when Embiid won the MVP, I thought Jokic had a better season than Embiid. But the NBA likes to control this narrative when it comes to MVP. They gave it to James Harden because they didn't want to give it to LeBron James, even though LeBron has arguably been the MVP of the NBA, you know, from 2003 to 2020. Um, you know, they gave it to Russell Westbrook because of the triple-doubles, even though the Thunder were a 60, and Damian Lillard and that crew, you know, embarrassed the the Thunder uh, in that playoff series when Damian Lillard called game on the then MVP. And so there's a lot of things in the NBA I don't like. It's why I don't talk a lot of regular season basketball because the floor is so spread out now. It's easier to score. There's a lot more ticky-tack fouls. And what we've seen in the NBA now as we have more talent than ever, I mean, you know, international talent is now more so, I would argue, than American talent. The NBA is leaning more on the G League and international stars. We're seeing, you know, Victor Wembanyama come in. And even though the Spurs have struggled this season, Wembanyama has been one of the most fun players to watch in the NBA. And I think him, Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid, all four international players, I think will sort of you know, be the, the Magic Johnson, Larry Bird type. I don't think we're going to have a one-dominating player. I don't think we're going to have Michael Jordan. I don't think we're going to have LeBron. I think we're going to have a Magic, Larry Bird type scenario here in the next 10 years. And my prediction will be uh, Victor Wembanyama, and then I think Giannis, Nikola, and Joel will almost rotate. Um, you know, we'll see if Luka Doncic decides to play defense and Dallas and Kyrie and see if they can get up there at this point. I think LeBron's still a top five player in the league. I think Steph Curry is still a top five player in the league, as you've heard me say multiple times. So the talent out there right now is endless. And because of that, um, I think scoring 60 and even 70 and L80 would be a home of an accomplishment. But Kobe did it back in the day when the game was a lot more physical. Now, you know, the new 25 is like the new 35 and the new 50 is like the new 60. Uh, Jason Tatum is a guy a lot of people love. He's done that multiple times this year. I'm not the biggest fan of Jason Tatum. And I think when it comes down to it, a lot of these guys in the NBA the regular season is 82 games. It's long. There's more back-to-backs than ever. So it's really a young man's game in the regular season. Postseason, it's a seven-game series. Coaches get time to adjust. They warn your weaknesses. And the veterans that have been there and done that, that have gone through the old postseason gauntlet, per se, have thrived. I mean, the Lakers were a seventh seed, you know, last year. Uh, they redid their whole team at the trade deadline made the Western Conference Finals, and I'm sorry, they were in every game against the Denver Nuggets last year. Yes, they got swept, but they were in every single game. Carl the Towns and Joel Embiid, two great, you know, all-time regular season performances. But Carl the Towns has never been out of the first round. Joel Embiid has never been out of the second round. 
if both of these guys flame out and, you know, both of these guys are, you know, along with Anthony Edwards, obviously, for, for Minnesota and Tyrese Maxey for Philadelphia. But these guys are leading their teams. You know, I believe the Sixers right now are third in the East. I think Minnesota is the number one seed in the Western Conference. You know, I'm like Denver last year sort of shocking the league. And I have said for years, as much as we don't trust a team like Denver that won the championship last year or a team like Minnesota or Oklahoma City or even, you know, in Orlando uh, this year, historically in the NBA, if you don't get a top three seed, you're not a championship team. So we'll see if these guys can put it together this year. We'll see if they can mature on that big stage. Again, Devin Booker has put up historic numbers. Donovan Mitchell has put up historic numbers. Uh, Jamal Embiid has had historic games. Jason Tatum has had historic games. Now Cat has historic games. Luka Doncic. There's a lot of players in this league that have either you know made one conference finals and then flamed out or have never made a conference finals that have historic regular season performances. I don't care what you do in the regular season. Scoring 70, great, great accomplishment. It's hard to do for one night. But I would rather have you have 35, 8, and 5 and put on a postseason game of a lifetime where you take over the game down the stretch. You may only have 20 points with four minutes to go. But to score the last 10 in a game six, you know, your team's up three to two. You put the team away. All like LeBron putting up 40-something against Miami. Game six, 2012 against Boston, which everybody says was LeBron's best game of his career. LeBron scored 51 against Golden State, game one of the 2018 finals. Not a lot of people remember it. You know why? You know what they remember? J.R. Smith for getting the score. So winning and losing to me is a lot different. Again, I'd rather have you have 30-ish, 8-4, and four and win the game in a playoff series than have you go 60 and whatever on one random regular season night in January and completely flame out of the postseason. So I know it's hard. Congratulations to both guys for doing a great job last night. But really, what we will remember about these performances will come down to how their teams perform in the postseason. And both these guys are leaders on those teams. So if they do not perform, like, who knows, maybe they will, maybe they won't. We'll get more clarity on the NBA as we get to March and April. But the pressure will be on JoJo and Kat. We've never had more skilled bigs. You know, I believe Carl Anthony Towns was the number one pick. Joel Embiid was the number three pick. Merch the, missed the first two seasons of his career, has been injured a lot. He's a special player. Carl Anthony Towns on certain nights can be a special player, but are you that guy? Are you a dog? We'll find out come April and May. NFL is down to its final four. It's time to recap the divisional round of the 2024 NFL playoffs. We're going to start things off with Texans, Ravens, which of course occurred Saturday night on ABC and ESPN. They were tied 10 10 at the half. Houston's only off a touchdown in the game, I should say, it was not even an offensive touchdown, it was a special teams touchdown. Baltimore turns around, destroys them 24 to nothing in the second half. To win the ball game. And I have said really for the last two months, the Ravens to me, out of all the teams in the NFL, even over Kansas City and over Philadelphia points when they were 10 and 1, the Ravens 
look like a Super Bowl team. They remind me a lot of last year's Eagles team. Now, whether they can finish it off like the Philadelphia team remains to be seen. But they are blowing people out. I mean, from the Lions to the Seahawks to the Niners, they dismantled almost everybody they played. And the games that they lost, the most meaningful one, was, of course, the Browns game week 10 when Deshaun Watson had that incredible comeback in the second half. They were up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. They just blew that lead. And ever since, the Ravens have not looked back. They've really only been in one close game. There was the Rams game in which they won in overtime, which seemed to catapult the team. I thought, you know, they had a little bit of first-half rush from resting, you know, against Pittsburgh and then having the bye week. But even without Mark Andrews, who will now be back for the AFC Championship game to go against Kansas City, I thought Baltimore would just dominate the second half. Now, I thought there was a chance, you know, the Ravens secondary is not great. I thought C.J. Stroud would have a better game than he had week one. He really did not. Uh, C.J. Stroud reverted back to what he is, which is a rookie. It's why I said C.J. Stroud would not win the MVP. The Texans won, you know, what, nine, ten games. I know he missed one or two. But there were three, four weeks in there where C.J. Stroud did not have a good stretch. They almost lost to Denver. They almost lost to Arizona. Um, and I think Baltimore, you know, really showed in different schemes. Zone, man, blitz, everything in between. And Houston's offense just could not get out of the mud. I thought Houston could cover the nine and a half, so I whipped on that. Again, I thought there was a chance they get some big plays down the field. Now, I loved Green Bay plus nine and a half against San Francisco. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was rooting for the Packers. You guys know as an Eagles fan, I'm not a big fan of the San Francisco 49ers. And what I saw on Saturday night on Fox, Kevin Burkhardt, Greg Olson, who did a great job calling that game. And I don't care if it was raining. Um, Jordan Love, even though, he, even though he threw that interception at the end of the game, I thought Jordan Love vastly outplayed Brock Purdy for the majority of the game. I thought San Francisco really struggled once Debo Samuel went out, which I find really strange that as a quote-unquote Super Bowl team, the Niners really struggle uh, when one of their weapons, Debo Samuel, goes out. I think their entire offense goes out the window. Um, I did not think Brock Purdy had a good game. I thought he got away with some incredibly dangerous throws. The one that Jennings should have been picked, he had one to Darnell Savage, and if Darnell Savage caught it, Early in the first quarter, probably could have been a pick six, took it the other way. Green Bay dominated mostly that game, but the game flipped on the Carlson missed field goal. And this is what I have said. When you watch the Ravens, when you watch the Cowboys, they had the two best kickers in football this year. Justin Tucker for the Ravens, Brandon Aubrey for Dallas. Now, we did not get to see a ton of Brandon Aubrey in the divisional round game because Green Bay just took it to Dallas, and Green Bay is ascending, and they're going to be even better next year, and they have a chance to knock off the Lions in the division because uh, the Lions are going to lose Ben Johnson. I don't think they're going to be as good next year. But if you don't have a kicker, we watch the Ravens with Justin Tucker. Justin Tucker absolutely changes games. And we talk about, you know, quarterback, weapons, offensive line, pass rush. That's the key to having a successful football team. And we all know that. But I would make the argument, if I was building a football team from scratch, my first three picks would be 
quarterback, kicker, and backup quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback that you can trust, whether it's your starter or your backup, because you know your quarterback's going to get hurt. If you don't have a, excuse me, a reliable quarterback, and if you don't have a reliable kicker like Justin Tucker, and by the way, from 60 yards out, Justin Tucker can completely change games. You're going to lose games. It hurt the psyching of Green Bay. They cannot recover. Brock Purdy drove down on the last drive. And San Francisco, in my opinion, escaped from Green Bay because of that missed kick. Because, yes, Green Bay did block a kick at the end of the first half. It helped them survive. It would have been a 10-6 game. Then they came out. They got the stop in the second half. And outside of the one punt by Green Bay late in the game, San Francisco could not stop Green Bay. It was more of Green Bay's undoing. Jordan Love, young quarterback, made some mistakes. But the Niners really struggled here against a number seven seed that everybody said, you know, Vegas said San Francisco was way better than, excuse me, the line was nine and a half. And Green Bay, in my opinion, significantly outplayed San Francisco in that game. Now let's get to the Lions and Bucks game because I thought Detroit did not play that well until the fourth quarter. I thought Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so I like what the Packers did, did a phenomenal job of staying in the ball game. And, you know, when they went to halftime 10-10 or that big Mike Evans catch against that Detroit secondary, which we know outside of their safeties, Brian Branch, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, they don't have really any corners, and Tampa Bay exposed that, uh, which is why it's going to make it really interesting to see what San Francisco does against that Detroit front. But Tampa really exposed it, I thought, with Mike Evans. They should have got Chris Godwin more involved than they did. They really could not run the ball with Rashad White, which was their undoing. Now, Detroit had some clock management issues I did not love. Ben Johnson, who I think is a Good play caller. I think he's going to be a coach in this league one day, maybe for the commanders as soon as a couple weeks. But the more and more I'm watching Detroit, I don't love Ben Johnson's play calling throughout the entire game. Uh, he either has a masterful first half or a masterful second half. I think sometimes he gets into too much rhythm of that call sheet and wants to throw the ball instead of running the ball and working clock. I mean, Javier Gibbs at 70 yards but he only had eight carries. And that game really shouldn't have been as close as it was. The Lions dominated for us, but they let Tampa get back in the ball game. I don't understand what the math is on that. I think momentum is real. I would have kicked the extra point instead of going for two. And if you are going to go for two, it's the worst play in football, and I've never understood it. I don't like goal line fades. If I have an offensive coordinator, I never put goal line fades in my offense. It's such a low percentage play. You have to make a perfect throw and a perfect catch for it to execute. It may be executed once or twice a year. And that, by the way, from that tight formation is even harder to do so. So I get it. And Mike Evans jumps back for the DB. It's probably a PI. But at the end of the day, um, did not want the decision, did not want the play call. Yet Detroit, again, sort of running the clock out, threw it at a sack, couple incompletions. Tampa got a chance to get the ball back, and Baker Mayfield did what Baker Mayfield does, which is throw an interception, all like he did on the first drive of that game. Detroit covered the six and a half, which I predicted they would. I said it'd be close, seven, eight point game. Should have been a seven point game, but Tampa decided to kick the field goal. Pretty much called that right on the head. 
And for all those Cleveland Browns fans out there obsessing over Baker Mayfield, I don't get it. Uh, Deshaun Watson is your quarterback now. But let's get to Kansas City Buffalo because I had Buffalo at minus two and a half. And for a lot of that game, I felt comfortable. First half, I thought Buffalo really dominated the game offensively, even though Kansas City matched them. And we saw Travis Kelsey and, or excuse me, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey's brother Jason up there celebrating in the booth after the uh, Travis Kelsey touchdown. But Buffalo really controlled most of the first half. Then they got into, for some reason, they got away from their running game. It was Josh Allen, Hero Ball. It was the 6-6 six and six Buffalo Bills instead of, you know, the 5-6-0, whatever they were down the stretch to end the season, Buffalo. Josh Allen, for I think it was 45 pass attempts, only 12 rushing attempts. And Josh did a lot with his legs, but they did not get James Cook involved. You saw they were scared of giving the ball back to Patrick Mahomes which I get it. They had a lot of linebackers out. They had a lot of injuries on defense, but their offense was making a, or their defense, excuse me, was making some good stops in the second half. For the record on the McCall Hardman fumble, I think it is the right call to have a touchback, to have the ball go through the end zone. Uh, and I'm an offensive guy, and a lot of offensive guys don't like the rule. What I say is hold on to the football. It's hard enough to play defense as it is. You got to give the defense some sort of reward. So quick take on that. But at the end of the day, I thought again, Buffalo, Sean McDermott, they were so scared of Kansas City getting the ball back and they did not run their offense to their full potential. It was a lot of Josh Allen hero ball. The throw from like the 10 yard line to the other 20 to Stevon Diggs was a great throw. If Diggs hangs on, we may be having a different conversation. But what Kansas City did was they ran the ball with Isaiah Pacheco and Buffalo really struggled to stop that in the second half. They used their offensive line to their advantage. Their tackles, who have struggled all regular season, did not give up a pressure yet in the postseason. Uh, and it is really the heart of the champion. And we said, if you give Kansas City two and a half points, I'm really worried about it. I thought Buffalo was the better team. Buffalo has the, you know, uh, Kansas City's number in the regular season. But in the postseason, you can never doubt Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Now we get to championship weekend. I will give my picks on Thursday, my best bets for those two games. And with only two games left in the regular season, I may throw in a potential, you know, uh, par away of, you know, a player prop or two there just to get your odds a little bit better. Uh, so of course, we only have three games left, two games on Sunday, and then the Super Bowl. I'll tell you right now, I'm leaning towards the two home teams, Baltimore and San Francisco. Though that Kansas City-Detroit, which kicked off the season and could be the Super Bowl at the end of the season, especially if Debo Samuel does not play, I think things potentially wind up for the Lions. And I, again, am very wary about, even though I think Baltimore is the better team. And, you know, we know Kansas City struggles this year. But in my opinion, you can never discount Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. I think it's a very tough call to make on both these teams. We said if the Lions can clean up their act, which they got a break, in my opinion, from Dallas and Philadelphia both choking, we now know both of those teams are bringing back both of their head coaches. Uh, in Philly's case, I think it was the right move. In Dallas's case, 
I think it was the wrong one. I think we've seen Mike McCarthy's ceiling, and in Nick Sirianni's case, you don't make the Super Bowl and completely collapse the next year. It's you know, it's more of a fluke thing, and I think Nick is a very good head coach. But at the end of the day, Detroit got a break by Dallas and Philadelphia losing out. They then became the second-best team in the conference. San Francisco is vulnerable this year. They're not as vaunted as people think. The defensive line barely got pressure on Jordan Love in that game. Kansas City is vulnerable this year. They have the heart of the champion. But this, to me, looks like the Ravens' year of destiny. Though I said that about the Philadelphia Phillies when they were in the MLB playoffs, and what happened? They lost to the Arizona Diamondbacks. So we will find out on Thursday. Again, thank you guys so much for listening to all of my takes today. Big news in the WWE. Big night in the NBA. Big week of NFL football. Thursday, we come back. We not only give my best bets of the NFL division, uh, the AFC and NFC championship game, and my money line picks. But I will preview and give my predictions for the 2024 Royal Rumble event. Once again, we are in collaboration with Voltage Live. Tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, me and Josh Unger go head-to-head on a new episode of Championship Ranks. All those links are in the description below. Have a great day, and peace.